Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Roberta Groner, one of the best runners in America for a while, is on the podcast, and I could not be more excited. She ran incredibly well at the Olympic trials, and over the past couple of years, as as you'll hear me say to her during the show, I haven't seen anybody, let alone an elite runner, have as much fun running and racing and training as her. And it was just so much fun to reconnect with her after having her on for season one of Road to the Trials a couple of years ago. This was just so much fun to get into. And in fact, she shares a little bit of surprise information at the end. You'll hear me totally be caught by surprise in terms of uh, her future plans and an announcement that I think is being made today. So really good stuff from her. Also, shout out to our presenting sponsor, ASICS. So I don't know where, I don't know about you or you live, but we've had a ton of snow up here in the Northeast this week, a lot of ice around. And I want to highlight something on ASICS website that people might not know about. I think it's kind of like a hidden secret with ASICS. Most of their best running shoes, especially their daily trainers and faster daily trainers, all have a trail version. Now, these aren't specifically made for like high-end trail races. It's more light trail and just better grip. And I think these shoes are fantastic for icy conditions, especially for the wintertime. I love these shoes. So I have like the Nova Blast 4 Trail, which I really love. I actually used to train in the Nova Blast 3 Trail a lot. I loved that shoe. That was my favorite shoe, no matter the conditions. I really like the extra grip that it had on the bottom of the shoe. They have like the Cumulus has this, the Nimbus has it, the, let's see, the GT2000 has it. So many of their shoes have these trail versions and it's really great if you have like a light trail situation you like to run on dirt roads or if it's just a little icy or the conditions aren't great there's slush on the ground those are my go-to's for exactly the conditions that i'm going to be running in today i got a 10 mile long run and i'm going to be using one of those shoes probably the nova blast 4 trail for that run and i can't wait to do it so go to a6.com today and check out all of their offerings and their sales page which is always really really good as well now let's get into my conversation with roberta groner all right roberta groner is back on the rambling runner podcast people may recall roberta was a uh, frequent guest and a steady contributor to uh, road of the trials season one actually we used to call it road of the olympic trials that was before a lawyer friend of mine was like i don't think you can use the word olympic in your podcast i think they have that trademark i'm pretty sure so i changed it real quick so it was just road of the trials season one we followed you that year that was such a fun thing and with all of that being said, Roberta, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It is greatly appreciated. Yeah, thank you for inviting me back, Matt. I'm happy to be here. Well, I've had a chance to now see you run in person. All this other time, I've followed you remotely, you know, on Instagram and through grainy live feeds from across the country. But I was actually had a chance to go and watch you race in Orlando. You ran the Olympic trials again. So first of all, congratulations. 2.33, a fantastic race on a, on, for, for a lot of people, a, a brutal day. That is yeah. for sure. So congratulations, first of all. Thank you very much. It was a fun day, but brutal. <laughs> Well, it's nice to be able to combine those two things because usually the brutal days usually aren't categorized uh, with that adjective. This is true, but I felt like I had to, uh, I had some redemption from 2020, so I needed to make it fun too um, and enjoy every moment. So, yeah. I love that. See, that is a word that you've used quite often, especially in the lead up to the 2024 trials. And a bunch of your posts, you talked about redemption and getting and getting that feeling of redemption um, mm. 
it's funny. I, I think about the phrase that, that said, like, if you're if you're going on a mission for revenge, dig two graves. Because the idea is usually it's like if that's that's your motivation, like you're probably going to fall and you're probably going to fail in the process. You did not, though. You yeah. did a great job. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to be speaking of sayings. I wanted to read an Instagram post that you posted after the 2020 trials, uh, because I think it sets the stage for what's to for what came next. And I think this is the thing that I was really excited to have you on the podcast. I wanted, I was going to reach out to you anyway, no matter what happened at the trials, because over the last two years, I just said this to you offline. I'm going to repeat it now. There is nobody that I follow that I thought enjoyed running and racing as much as you have over the last year and a half or two years, which I think is an incredible thing. And let me just set the stage um, for, for that, you know, that uh, observation, because I think this post says it well. So it starts off, um, Nani Karobi Ya Oki, fall down seven times, stand up eight, choosing to give up hope. I'm sorry, choosing to never give up hope and to always strive for more. It means that your focus isn't on the reality in front of you, but on a greater vision that may not be reality yet. Reflecting for a few days and knowing I will have more to process. But right now, my focus is that the greater vision is not the reality yet. This was my first DNF, and I made the toughest decision to drop out with the hopes to rise again and keeping doing that and keeping doing what I love to do. These photos all through all show the raw and personal uh, feelings of the day. With that said, it's how I respond to this unexpected outcome that matters. All I know is I'm waking up with a smile and the passion to get up out the door and feel the fresh air on a run. It was such a wonderful experience at the trials. And then one that I will never forget with the highs come the lows. And that's what builds strength character thank you for letting me read that as my as my 10th grade english teacher once told me matt you should never be allowed to read in public so for everyone who listened to that please thank you for for letting me do that roberta that is quite that's quite a thing to say and it's one thing to write it it's another thing to live it so what happened after the trials that set the stage for you to live out what mm. you what you wanted what you kind of prophesized in that in that post yeah uh, thank you for rereading because i completely i didn't forget about that post but i didn't know that that was the one that you were going to read so as soon as you started saying it i was like oh i know it now but uh you know what like we talked about it was my first like i would say i think it was my first dnf like in the, the marathon world at least and uh um it took probably even though I wrote that then, it took more work after that post. Um, probably probably a good year, year and a half with COVID happening and no races. Um, and then when races would start to trickle back in, I think there were a lot of, I wouldn't say demons, but a lot of things I still had to work through. Wondering, you know, do I still have the competitive edge? Do I still want to do this? There were just some low moments. But I think really it's just about getting out the door every day and enjoying what you love doing. And I do, I felt like, I feel like running makes me a better person just in my entire life. Um, it doesn't have to be a competitive edge, but I noticed that I am a competitor and I like to have goals. So if I'm not making goals for myself or striving to be a better person, I, it doesn't do well for me. You know, I just feel stagnant. So, um, so it, it was bit by bit, um, slowly coming back into racing again. Um, but really like, really enjoying the moments of running. Um, and also I started branching out into other things like coaching, um, deciding I want to take to, to pay it forward and start coaching. So just different things started branching off of after the trials, not necessarily just focusing on 
the results and the racing. Now, in the year and a half preceding the trials, you had a great string of racing. Um, and even the, even the, even like, I think of the world championships in Doha, which again, was talk about a brutal race. That was, that, that really was a brutal race for in every respect. It was like the start time, the weather, everything involved. Um, and you first American there, you ran really well. Again, it wasn't about time. I mean, you know, you look at the time, it's almost like an, like a, like a trailer ultra event. It's yeah, like the time yeah. doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah, you yeah. Look at, look at the places and you look at the, the effort that goes into it. And even looking back at that, like, obviously you draw, you drew so much strength in love for the sport through the competition of it. So post trials, you mentioned it took you a while to really find your footing again in the sport. Does that, was that simply because it was a DNF and because you, on the day where you really went for it, or was it also, were there other factors? I know, and the reason I bring it up is there's probably other people now who are in a similar boat as you, because at the time, it, I mentioned, I remember you referencing age in our conversations yeah, leading yeah. into the trial. So did that play a part in how you reflected on that day as well? I think so. I mean, there's no regrets. I think we all have to do things and take risks. Um, but it was hard to process once it happened, you know. And um, I think for me, like, it was more, um, you know, what if I'm never going to be fast enough again? But I think we have to stop thinking of that you know, and just focus on just enjoying the process. And, you know, I was, I started thinking like, you know, if I coach this, I need to, I, I need to go to stand by it. Right. You know? And so, um, we all know that we age and that we will slow down at some point, but I try not to think about that, you know, so much on a daily basis and just really enjoy doing what I'm doing. Right. And even your progression up into the trials, you were you were performing at a level that was fantastic. And I think even there were probably people even at that time who were like, all right, well, someone's in their late thirties. Is this some, really something that's going to work for them? But you said a PR at Rotterdam, you know, yeah. in 2019, and you were running incredibly well. Again, first American at the world championships really says it all there. Yeah. So you have now come out of the trials and you're setting master's records. You are really going after it. So can you walk me back to when you really, you know, a year and a half after, after the trials, COVID passes, you're a nurse, we should say, so it affected yeah. you professionally as well. Um, walk me through kind of the, the, the baby steps, wherever you want to say it, back mm -hmm. into the sport, not just from a, a training perspective, but also a racing perspective. Yeah, I think I, if I recall, I went down to J uh, Jacksonville for the 15K. It was like March of maybe 2021. Maybe that sounds about right. I get confused yeah. now with COVID. Yeah. Uh, and that was like the first race I really was like a championship race and I went back at it, you know? And, um, for me, it was like taking that step. Cause like there were all these virtual races and virtual challenges, but nothing really like, Hey, get back out there and, and, and get competitive again. And I think being in that environment really, uh, sparked something again, like, Oh, I, I do miss this and I do love doing this. And, uh, and, um, just racing and racing smart and the camaraderie that comes with it and getting to know people. So really that kind of started it again, um, getting back down there and taking that leap of like, Hey, I think I like was a last minute, like email, like, Hey, do you have a spot? Can I join? You know, and just did it. And when did Central Park Track Club start playing a major role in your running life and now coaching life as well? Because one of the things that I that I love seeing is you seem seemingly run tons of races at their <laughs> events, right? Like somebody can't just go on like the World Athletics website and see like what what races have Roberta Groner been up to? It's like that doesn't even tell the half of it. 
Like there yeah. are all these other things going on. So as, as someone who lives fairly close to New York City, living in Roxbury or you know, northern New Jersey, mm. tell me about like ingratiating yourself into that community and what that's done for you uh, as a runner. Yeah, I mean, wow. I mean, they came in, to, came in around January of 2022 after Houston Marathon. So Houston Marathon in 2022, I qualified for the Olympic trials. It was like the opening window. Um, so I got, I checked that mark off the box. I said, all right, I don't have to worry about it so much in the next couple of years. And, uh, I was approached by Central Park Track Club a couple of weeks later, they had been reaching out. Um, they were looking for a new, um, their roads coach had retired and they were looking for, um, a coach, uh, potentially. So, uh, I was a little surprised. I had started, like I said, during COVID, I started, I took some of my certifications, was doing some personal coaching, but not like coaching for a large club. And, uh, so, uh, they, you know, I just took, I took the risk again. I took the jump and I said, I know my life is crazy, you know, full-time nurse, three kids running at a high level, but you know what? Um, sometimes you just gotta, uh, my partner says, don't say no, you know, cause there's a lot of what ifs afterwards. And so I was like, all right, let's just do this for a year and see if it works, you know? Um, and, yeah, just dove right into the coaching and then also uh, becoming a member of their team and racing for them too. And when you dove into the coaching side, did you did you anticipate that that maybe would pull back on the running side? Because all of a sudden you have another commitment on top of all the other commitments, right? So like, where did you see this fitting into your already busy life? I was, I wasn't so fearful. I, I think when you go to a club or you're with, um, you know, a club or with a run, like they belong, they know, they understand, like they wanted to see me also. That was also known very much early on uh, where we want you to still run at a high level. Like, yes, we want you to coach, but this is also, you know, a priority for the club to see, to support you in that way too. So, you know, yes, there was some fears, but I've done so well with time management all these years that I can just somehow learn how to squeeze it in. <laughs> That is fantastic. And when you started coaching in this larger setting, were there certain like people or mentors or like how how did you um, go into this and what what people did you kind of either lean on or did you kind of like, you know, come to mind to like help help set the stage for you to, to do this at a high level? I mean, I really had to lean on the head coach, Devin Martin, you know, because she'd been doing it with the club for 20 some years and uh it was hard at first because I now I'm I'm coaching potentially 600. I'm sending out an email to 600 club members that I don't know half of them. Holy you know? cow, that is huge! Yeah. So there was a lot to wrap around from an individual coaching perspective to a large group per coaching perspective. So I would say, you know, primarily Devin and like people in the club, um, and just like some personal friends. Um, but other, she was like, I mean, the person that's guided me through this whole process, you know, um, which has been wonderful. So now, now I'm like so intrigued by this. I'm gonna like I can't wait to ask a bunch of questions. Um, so we'll get back to Roberta's running in a little bit. I promise, dear <laughs> dear listeners. But I'm just so intrigued. So this club is huge. Anyone mm-hmm. who follows New York City running at all has already heard of them many many times over. So what does it mean to be there? You know, one of their road coaches in terms of like your personal contact with athletes. Like what like what roles do you serve for them versus what roles do you not serve for them? Like what yeah. what exactly is the role itself? You know, it's ever evolving. Um, but no, I, I, I am there twice a week, um, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Generally, I go in. I, I, I do primarily roads. So Devin's more track. Um, so I write workouts 
or twice a week and I go in, support the club then. Um, I go in on the weekends occasionally for targeted long runs when we're doing marathon training. Um, and then I'm there obviously, you know, through emails, through calls, if they want to talk about anything, anything you know specific coming up with their races or training. Uh, so, yeah. So how many athletes do you end up coaching through, through Central Park Track Club? And like, is there like different levels? Like, is there some people who are like, all right, I come to some of these when I can. And other people who are like really diehard, maybe not like at your level of running, but like yeah. really diehard and serious and committed athletes. Yeah, I mean, I don't coach really anybody privately from the club, but I would say like on an average basis, we can have anywhere from at a practice 30 to 100 people just depending on the night, wow. you know, um, and that just depends. But uh you know, when it's like marathon season, I'm def- like, there's definitely a lot more questions or, you know, um, they'll ask me some more advice and things like that. And, uh, um, but like I said, it's, it's, I I've been doing it for over two years, about two years now. So, um, I've gotten more comfortable with coaching in the setting and like giving guidelines. That was always my big thing at the beginning. I was like, well, if I don't know you, I have to at least give some guidelines. Like most of the, I mean, we, we are a club that isn't like necessarily all new runners. Most are competitive in nature and have been doing it for a long time. So they know if I'm giving a high volume workout, but I usually say, Hey, if you're like running less than 50 miles a week, I suggest this much less or whatever maybe gotcha all right so yeah. that makes sense you have to have like alterations right you have to kind of yeah. be at the same level does that mean you have to do things like maybe run by time instead of distance like how do you make a workout amenable to 50 potentially 100 people uh well you know we break them up when, once we get to the workout group we, we we separate them in groups so they go by their paces and then i send them off by their paces so that's the great thing about it like because they get to run with each other and push each other um based off of their pace and where do you do these workouts? Oh, Central Park. You got to do it there, right? Yeah. God, that's brutal. I remember I did a workout with, um, I think it was, now it's Jenny Grimshaw. It uh-huh. was uh, Jenny Donnelly before. Yeah, yeah. And she lived in New York. And um, oh my God, she kicked my butt all, all through Central Park. I was like, this is a brutal place to do a workout for sure. I would assume, please tell me if I'm wrong, that doing workouts in that kind of undulating terrain is a great, but besides just like the workout itself, just the terrain must be yeah. a great stimulus for them when they go out and do different kinds of races. Yeah, I believe so. I always say if we can do these workouts in Central Park, we're we're fit to pretty much take any terrain and race on. So yeah, that is great. So how did being part of this club as a runner change <laughs> your workout oh. schedule or the your training partners and things like that? You know what? Um, so. My schedule pretty much similar. I mean, because I work, I work in New Jersey and I live in New Jersey, so a lot of times I still have to do like at least my midweek workout by myself for the most part. Um, but over the last year or so, I um, Devin Martin is now my coach, right? Um, and so I utilize a lot. Of the, like the team is great with helping me. Like my last long run, targeted long run before Olympic trials, I had like twenty five people out there pacing me like through different portions of the workout. So I had wow. 12, like I had, you know, 10 miles at like, you know, a minute slower than marathon pace than 12 at marathon pace and they were jumping in and pacing me and it was just to have that support and the, you know, an excitement from the club is 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 amazing. So it's just I can't just describe it, you know. In prior to 2020, were mm-hmm. you doing most of your stuff solo? Yes. Yeah, well, I have a good friend, uh, one or two friends that would jump in here and there. Um, but for club support or team support, I, w- I didn't really have anything like this at all. So, 
And what has that been like for your training? And we hear all the time about like the positive benefits of being in a group, but for busy people, busy people like you, oftentimes it can be easy to rationalize. Oh, I'm too busy for that. Oh, whatever. It's not that big of a deal, but now here you are living it. Yeah, no, I think, you know, when I can do it and like, sometimes I'll go in and on a Thursday night instead of after, you know, I send everybody else off, I go out with the last group of fast guys and, you know, and it's a difference. Like, you know, you have that, that, that mental, you have more, there's something about doing a workout alone. That's very satisfying too. But when you can just, you know, you have a grinding hard workout and it might just take that little extra mental or physical when you have a couple people just, you know, around you and you're all working hard. It's just something about that, that gives you the extra push and you can do it. Speaking of extra push, workouts at the end of the day is mm. really tough, especially in, in, I mean, most people are working professionals, right? It's like one thing for it to like, I remember as a high school athlete, like everyone's workouts for the end of the day because it's after school, right? Yeah. It's the yeah. same thing in, in yeah. college. But as, as, a, as an adult <laughs> and especially working professional, workouts at the end of the day can be incredibly tough because you're already yeah. tired going into it. What are some of the things that you tell your athletes or that you try to do to make sure that you're at your best oh, when it I is go time? I mean, it's hard, right? Because we're all pretty much working. Um, but it's always good to, you know, make sure you're you eat the right things, uh, making sure you know you're drinking well, and it's always about like doing that extra stretching or whatever you may need to do. But again, because um, we've had a couple athletes that went back to work after remote work, and they're like, "Oh, I got like tight hip flexors," and I'm like, "All right, so you got to like try to find out how you can get out a few minutes earlier to to get those things in." Um, but I I think it's also back to that routine once people do it. Like they're just used to doing it in the evening where for me, when I do it primarily in the morning and I go and do it with the team in the evening, I'm like, oh, this is so hard again because <laughs> I've worked all day. And I also drive in an hour plus drive into the city. So it's like getting your legs to move um, is tough. So. And I've always been more of a morning person in this regard, but I always wonder if it's kind of similar to like being a morning runner where it's like, it's just a different kind of thing to overcome where it's like, yeah, you're tired from the rest of the day, but like once you get going, you'll get into it. It's kind of like in the morning again, this might be an incorrect uh, comparison, but like in the morning, I kind of feel the same way. It's like, all right, yeah, I am tired. But like, once I get going, they'll figure it out. Yeah. I think the hardest thing about an evening workout is then you're revved up. Like I come home and I want to sleep, but then oh I can't God. sleep. Yes, you know, and I'm like, that's I have a great to get up. point. And I'm like, I have to get up and work in the morning or run again, so I need to sleep. <laughs> it's the worst. This, this I can feel because I've I've done a couple. You know, I remember like when I used to play college and high school basketball, I could never sleep after practice. We used to practice sometimes like 8 p.m. Would start the practice at 8 p.m. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I could never sleep after. Oh. And now as an adult, occasionally I'll do like a nighttime run. Same thing. And especially with this podcasting. So we're recording this on a Tuesday night. So you had practice tonight. So you yeah. drove home. You're on the podcast. I have that same feeling. I try to get up for these podcasts. I go home. I'm sorry. I go up to bed. Yeah. I was like, what? go to sleep. Like, I can't. I'm, I'm yeah. too wired. Yeah. Um, but that's a great point. I hadn't even thought about that. Like the, the nighttime you know, energy bump that yeah. you get. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. So no, it's uh like I said, it's I, I feel like with the club though it's just been a great like for uh, all around like this just I feel like I've grown. I have a community. I have a family that I didn't really like, you know, looking back to 2020 trials, I didn't really feel I had, I mean, I was with a club. Don't get me wrong. Everything was great. It was just, wasn't this type of community and support. And, um, it's just been, I don't know, just, it gets me excited to see my athletes PRing and them also seeing me working hard too and doing, doing, you know, similar things. So it's, it's really great. So speaking of PRing, Mm-hmm. You have been PRing. So you have been PRing over the past year and a half, which is, again, you were so worried, like, all right, like, am I ever going to be fast again? So on and so forth. You're faster. Yeah. <laughs> this is, not only that, you've set five Masters American records. 
from the 5K up to the half marathon, five distances in between yeah. there. This is some really, really great stuff. Now, I have to ask, though, like in light of the, what we just read earlier, it seemed like embracing the love of running was paramount to this sort of you know, execution and production on the racing front. So how have you been able to manage keeping that love of the sport going in your training while also being competitive? Because sometimes it can be easy to be, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for the love of it, but I also want to like kind of downplay the racing side, right? Like, oh, I don't care about the races. I'm more about the training, and yeah, the, you yeah, know, yeah. but you've been able to kind of really, really lift up both sides of the equation, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I don't, I think it's just because I'm such a competitor, like the love of the sport, um, like love of training. Um, I love seeing the process. I love seeing, you know, you go from like, like right now I'm at like, you know, a week out of a marathon and I'm slugging out five miles. I'm like, oh, this is so hard. You know, just seeing like in 10 weeks where I could be running super fast and and, uh, I enjoy that process um, and being challenged. And then when it comes to the actual racing itself, I don't know, something, I have my alter ego or something just turns on once I start racing. It's like, almost like, well, if I see somebody like, you know, I just, I start like thinking like, oh, they're ahead of me. I'm going to start trying to pick them off. I don't know. I just, I go from like nice Roberta to kind of like, who can I take down? <laughs> Does this alter ego have a name? Oh, I would joke around because I did read the book about the alter ego uh, before the trials. And during the trials, I got called Rebecca a lot. So I think her my name might be Rebecca because I got called Rebecca <laughs> a lot when I was young, too. But during the but trials. Roberta is, but Roberta isn't like an uncommon name. Well, kind of. But Rebecca, I was like, man, they really, everybody thinks my name is Rebecca because there was no Rebecca's around me. But <laughs> that was the only name. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think just just loving the process and um, and like I said, I, I am competitive in nature, so I think just that part might not leave me ever. <laughs> hey guys, our podcast is brought to you by V. O. Two, a coaching app based on the science of legendary coach. Jack Daniels, unlike most other running apps, VDOT is truly personalized. It understands the type of runner you are, what you're training for, and how to maximize your effort. It also gives you control over your training, leveraging your feedback with fine-tuned training, and it leads to continuous progression. Not only that, you get a really good picture on how your time in a certain event or certain workout can be extrapolated to other paces and other times, right? So if you're like, hey, I have a recent 5K result, what does that mean in terms of like my threshold pace or what I could run a half marathon in and things like that? It really does work well. And when you're trying to set your your paces as a runner, it can get a little tricky sometimes. So getting that pace range is really helpful. Again, not just a pace time, a pace range. And that is exactly what V.02 can provide you. Try out their fully automated V.0 adaptive trainer and start syncing your training paces to your Apple Watch, Koros, or Garmin. You can use code Rambling to save 20% off after your 14-day free trial. That's right, a free trial, and then 20% off on V.02 today. Just visit v.02.com and you'll be all set. And you've done this at a, a wide variety of distances, right? Yeah. So you've been, you know, you mentioned you ran the Houston Marathon. That's not the only marathon you've done in the last two years as well, uh, in addition to the trials. And yet mm-hmm. you're also setting records at the 5K, you know, at the, was it the 10K distance? The 5K. Well, so, sorry, there, so, no. so actually, no, no 5K. It's four records, 8K, 10K, okay. 
10 mile half marathon. Right. So the AK is, is essentially five miles. Five mile. Um, yeah. So I, had, I, had the, I had the five in, on yeah. the brain. So all of these, all, all of these distances going on. So have you, has your approach been to just like, from a race selection standpoint, is it always just whenever I sign up, it's an A race or do you just like to race to no. race? And if things go great, then, then they go great. Yeah, no, that's not always an A race because you can't, I mean, especially with our club, we have a lot of these New York Roadrunner Club point races, so I can't be on my A game every race, which is hard, though, sometimes when you have but to you say. But you can get out of it. You'd be like, oh, it's a coaching day. Sorry, guys, I'm coaching <laughs> <Yeah>. today. <laughs> uh, sometimes I can't. But uh, I think, like, I this past cycle, we or this last year, we, we knew I was turning 45, you know, and so it was this you know, what can we map out? And like the half marathon worked out perfectly. It was six weeks before a uh, Copenhagen marathon in 2023. So it was like, do this, do that. Um, and the other ones just kind of popped up randomly at times. Um, but you know, I was the most excited out of, I mean, I love all the records, but I think the half marathon was one of those ones where I was like, I PR'd by 52 seconds or something like that. So for me, it was kind of like, Oh, so I can run like a sub, you know, um, one, I ran like a, what was the, a one eleven twenty seven. So yeah. So, um, that was exciting just to be like, you know, I PR'd by like, and I hadn't, I hadn't been able to touch that record for, or my, my own PR by for like five years. <laughs> so. so what part of that we got you more excited, the, the master's record or the fact oh. that it was a PR? PR. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> yeah, PR. So, so why is that? Because that not everyone would answer that. I had a sense of what you were gonna say. Yeah. Not everyone would have. Everyone would have said that though. No, because like I think, like I said, it's all about me making personal strides and just always trying to see what I can get out of myself. And uh, these records are they're great, but they're meant to be broken too. But, but my personal records won't be broken because they're mine. So you know. So when things aren't going great, mm. and you're like, say, say you look at, you're always judging yourself against yourself. But, you know, previous groaner, right? Mm-hmm. So y- younger Rebecca yeah. <laughs> was also a really good runner. So what, what, So when, when things aren't going great or it's a tough cycle or maybe you're coming back from a, like a little bit of an injury yeah. or whatever, how do you make sure that you're not too hard on yourself in those moments that can kind of derail you if you, if you keep yeah. doing the self-comparison? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I just, I, even though I absolutely love running, it's not my only thing. Right. So, um, like I had a hamstring strain in the fall. Um, so it was like six weeks of kind of like no running or some running and, you know, and really that's when I had to like, you know, take time, to like focus on like the kids more, not focus. I always focus on them, but you know what I mean? Like I have other things I'm I love injured, to kids. do. Time for me to start paying attention to you guys. <laughs> yeah. well, listen, there's a 16, 17 and 20. I can barely get them out of their rooms right now. So, uh, but what I'm saying is like, I, I enjoy doing other things and I think that keeps me very grounded. Um, I love, we love to take vacations. We love hiking. I love doing like biking. So there's things like, I, I know that like running is always been part of me, but there might be a time where it's not. That's why also the coaching kind of came in. Like, you know, I'm still going to be able to be in the sport, pay it forward. If by chance I can't run it for some reason, you know? Yeah. And you're also in a unique position where there are high level professional marathoners, uh, on the women's side, who are about to embark on a career, they're part of their life that the generation of marathoners, female marathoners ahead of them, like maybe weren't able to do, right? With with yeah. marathon coming to the women's side back in the the, the LA uh, Olympics, this hasn't been there for a lot of people. So, like the master side of women's marathoning 
is kind of like this this novel thing for a lot of people, which is yeah. kind of an exciting thing. So when you see people who were in the same position this week that mm-hmm. you were in mm-hmm. four years ago, what are some of the things that either you've said to them in some of those conversations or if you were approached, how would you know what were some of the things that you would say to them if they were maybe feeling some of the same things that you felt? Yeah, I think like you said, we don't know what's gonna happen in the future, but if you just keep doing what you love to do, right? And enjoy the moment. And I say smile because smiling is super important. Like, I think if you just keep, don't put so much pressure on yourself. I think I, that's where I look back. I put a lot of pressure on myself for 2020 and I took a totally different route this last four years. Again, there's always times where we do put pressure on ourselves, but overall, I just, at the end of the day, it's, it's just something we love to do. It's, it's not, it's, you know, so for me, it's, and also don't think that, you know, it's over because that's one thing I hope, you know, that's when I, I tell my story again and again, it's, you know, for the mothers and for the older, the masters, like there's still things we can still do. Don't put an age out there. Yes, it, there is age, but like, and we will all start to slow down, but we don't know when that is. So don't just go do it, you know, enjoy it. Right. There seems to be a gravity around these whole numbers as if 40 means anything different than 38 or 42. And for certain people, that doesn't mean any difference. Um, I've had a really fun time listening to Mauro Fraioli talk about some of his running and racing in recent years as he overcame a similar thing that you dealt with. And, you know, to a a lesser degree, because he wasn't quite at that level and wasn't competing in the Olympics, but embracing masters running the way he maybe embraced like high school running. Right. Almost like the compartmentalization of it all. Right. Where it's like this it's a smaller community, not this bigger thing. With that said, I'd love for you to unpack a little bit the pressure that you've either felt or that you put on Mm -hmm. yourself letting you know, heading into twenty twenty that you said now, like that that's something that you either regret or that you look back on and say that wasn't necessary. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I went into it thinking, you know, I was like, I think I see the seventeenth for the twenty twenty trials. I was forty two. I said, Well not go for it. But I put a lot of like it wasn't like I knew it was going to, I knew it was a super, super long shot to even potentially make the team. But I think leading up to the trials, there was a lot of pressure. I put a lot of pressure on myself. I had all my family there. It was like very consuming of like that race, just that one race. Right. Whereas going into this trials, I wanted to take it as a celebration more. Like I achieved it. I'm there, but I wanted to enjoy every moment out there um, versus the last one where I felt like I was just like out there to like prove a point almost. I don't know. Right. Um, All right. So let's, I'm going to do a little like devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. Now I'm saying this, I don't actually believe what I'm saying, but I'm trying okay. to imagine someone being like, but a celebration that's, I'm trying to take this seriously. I don't want to, I don't want to celebrate. That makes it sound like I've already done the thing. Yeah. And now I'm now, and now this is some sort of like reward for the thing that I already did. I want, I'm going down there to be my best Roberta. Like, why would I, how would, how <laughs> celebrating this effort allow me to actually be at my best? It sounds like I'm taking it for granted. A little bit. Mm. Oh boy. I don't know. Like I said, I, for, <laughs> for me, it was, Again, I raced it, um, yeah. but it was I raced the race. It wasn't like I was out there just having fun, and I had strategies. I don't want to. I could backtrack a little bit. It wasn't like I was just there to have fun. I went in with a goal, with a purpose. Um, but I guess let's say not celebrate. I wanted to enjoy every moment, and I took it in a sense that I did for Worlds in 2019, where I went out there and said, "I deserve to be here," and I'm going to 
enjoy this whole process, the good and the bad. Um, and uh, that's kind of how I took, I wanted to embrace this race that way, whereas I didn't do it in 2020. I love this because I think that showing that enjoyment isn't, doesn't mean that things are being taken seriously. Yeah. Right. It's almost like if I, I need to have my game face on, I need to like, I'm not smiling. This is, yeah. this is work. This is serious. And yet we oftentimes see people like yourself and then other elite athletes, you know, be able to express themselves in a joyous way while still putting themselves through hell <laughs> in, in the moment. Yeah. I mean, the first lap at the Olympic trials was a lot of fun. It was a lot of, but again, the pace was a little slower. I mean, I, I kind of slowed down at the end anyways, but there was this moment and of the like, temperature was nice. The temperature was nice at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Then the sun just was beating down. Oh and, yeah, uh, for sure. And, uh, but I think like for me, it was that I wanted to take that approach, um, leading up to this race, just like I said, enjoying it, but being competitive, I had a race plan. Um, and you know, I wanted to, and that was the thing I also, you know, I would look back in the last four years, I lost my confidence to race the way I like to race. Um, when I started getting into the elite races and having, I, I, I felt like I had a race with them, like not necessarily always the front runners, but I'm like, Oh, if they're, if the pack goes, I got to like decide if I'm going to stay or if I'm going to run by myself. And so I was a big negative split person. Um, I used to, I used to trust my confidence. I could do it. I would negative split. I would, and so I'm trying to build that confidence back up or race the way I like to race, which is, you know, picking people off. <laughs> so um, I, you know, I was still able to do that during the trials. My time didn't get faster. I didn't have a negative split, but I was able to, at one point when I knew my time goal or if the American record goal was out of the window, I was like, I'm not going to look at my watch, but I'm going to just start picking people off. If I keep on passing people, that means I'm doing well, you know, in my eyes. And that's how I wanted to race the rest of the race. So. Yeah, but you almost negative split. I mean, you were close, right? At, at, you came through half. I'm looking at the official website here. It's like 116. You got it. 116.01. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're right there. You're right there. So that was um, like 117. So it wasn't like a huge positive split. Um, no. 117, like 20, 30. So it wasn't like I really fell off. It was just, like I said, after I knew that, you know, we were thinking that I was going to come through closer to 115, 115.30. And I was already starting to feel the heat at that point. And I was like, mm you know, and my quads are starting to tighten up. And I was like, I need, there's a fine line here, right? Like I don't want to lock up where I can't race. And so, yeah. So I just kind of decided to like, I didn't throw my watch off like Sarah Hall did, but I didn't look at my watch. The rest of the time. <laughs> I think throwing the watch is now going to be like the sign of like, I'm bringing it because Kelvin Kipton threw off his watch as did well. Uh... Um, in one of his marathons, I think it would have been Chicago. When he, wow. when he broke when he broke the world record, so I think that might be the move now. Is throwing the watch? Yeah, it's a little pricey if you don't have yeah, a. That's, that's a good point. If you, yeah, if you, you don't you, have you, a watch sponsorship, right? You got to get the Mickey Mouse watch. It has to be like, it's just a decorative throw, right? Yeah. It's, not, it's not legit. Um, so, at what point in the marathon did it go from redemption, which you wrote all about, and mm -hmm. you already mentioned on this podcast, to that you you, you kind of eclipsed that feeling and that thought and then it, it became not about the past but became about the present yeah i pro probably when the race started honestly and when i like you know after the first mile or two of like nerves and like i get you know sometimes we, p we put things in our head um but i think really when i like i said was in the present moment and just wanting to race and 
I, you know, I, I think we all set goals for ourselves. I was seated 48th. And so I was like, Oh, I want to be top 30, you know, just, you know, I always want to be my, my, and then I didn't know where I was in the race. Cause nobody really told you and you don't know who's dropping out, who's whatever. But with like three miles to go, I got like 27th and I said, Oh, well, I'm going to go for top 25 if I can. And that, there was nobody who was super close, but I was, I could tell I was still reeling people in. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go for this. Uh, so yeah, I think, you know, at some point early on in the race, it wasn't anything about 2020. It was just about what can I do here today? And in a race like that, you did you go in with a race plan? How much of that is pace related versus like, do you have alterations to the plan of like, all right, there's a group here that I'm comfortable with. I would rather stay with the group, even if it's maybe slightly off the pace, positive or negative. How do you, how do you build that yeah. into the plan at all? I think me and my coach are pretty flexible. I mean, we had like a pace plan and uh, you know, it's funny at the start line, you get, start gathering with women and you're like, what you doing? What you doing? And does so, anyone tell the truth in that moment or is everyone just kind of like kind of telling the truth? <laughs> I don't know, but you know, massaging and, and, the truth. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, maybe I'll go out easy. Then they go out like five Oh five. I mean, something <laughs> like that. That happens occasionally. Um, but anyways, I would say within like the first mile or so, you know, I picked up, we picked up a group of four or five women and, you could tell we were kind of in the groove and it wasn't a whole lot of talking. It's it's funny because some races you can talk, you know, and the, but this one was more quiet, but I guess everybody was nervous, you know? Um, but no, I think for me, it's, it's adjusting as the race goes on too. Um, I don't keep to it. Like I would love to like follow, like, like for the half marathon, I, I did my PR. I was able to follow, you know, it was, it was around a, like a lake. And so we had like a f- easy three mile loop. And so it was I was like, there for the McCurdy marathon y- in yeah. October. It, yeah. It was a great, it was a, it was clearly a great place to run fast. Yeah. Yeah. So it was one of those things like, all right, first loop five thirty-five, second Like, so we were similar doing something similar with the trials, but you know, like I said, by the third loop, it was okay. Just, just race and not, not worry about the times. So you weren't able to experience the kind of the, the last loop in Atlanta, right? So you, you yeah. dropped out at mile yeah. 17, great crowds down there. Yeah. Again, it was, it was quite a scene. That's for sure. At the same time, you've run a lot of high profile races. How would you compare the crowd support in Orlando oh, to other races that you've competed at? Oh, I mean, I was pretty blown away. I thought it was very good. I mean, there was some thin areas in certain parts, but for like the, it was very supportive and very energetic and uh i enjoyed it i thought i was i wasn't so sure because you know we lost two-thirds of the women's field like the numbers from four years ago so you know you expect you know everybody brings a few people along you might be thinning so but i think overall like if i compare it to most i mean obviously you got your new yorks and bostons you're not going to be able to compare to those right but um i felt like it was it had great energy um and i really enjoyed it so i also had a lot of people out there Cheering. Oh, that's, that's, that's great too. That's yeah. for sure. Now, when things get tough for you, are mm. you someone who goes in, inside or are you mm. someone who like tries to like expand the vision to try to take in the surroundings to get energy? Yeah. Yeah. So I used to, like, this is something I was talking with someone personally, um, uh, that works with runners, you know, in their mental game, uh, before the trials. And I used, I believe I'm more of an inside, but I don't think it worked well for me. Um, so she gave me some tidbits on things to do, um, to open up my peripheral view. Um, cause you know, as runners, we look down and we stay narrow and that doesn't get, so if we look up and do a peripheral view, we can relax our nervous system a little bit, or, you know, she has me doing some like, you know, find, find things that are blue colored, you know, just distractions to like kind of reset you to so, so much, not think about the pain or like the push or, you know, for me, like we talked about the negative thoughts, you know, we all get them right. 
she's like, she's like, you welcome them. You say, oh, there you are. Oh, welcome them. Welcome them. Okay, I, I was waiting for you, and okay, yeah, you're here, but like, you know, move on or whatever. Oh, so you're just, but... you're just, you're just driving in the car with the negative thoughts. You're just sitting in the back, and here we go. I mean, we know they're gonna come. I like the thought that she was That's like, they're point. gonna come. So just be be prepared for them, like you're preparing for anything for a race. They're gonna come. Oh man, them to come. So I like that. I I heard something similar, and the, the parallels are obvious when like. You're in like, say, not a confrontation, but you're in like an emotional situation. Like, so like we're both parents, like your situation with your kids, like, you know, at some point, like I've told you 900 times to stop doing that. Like, and now I'm getting angry. Right. So you're like, oh, here comes anger. Anger's in the house. You know what I mean? So like you can kind of like, oh, I shouldn't be surprised that I feel that way. But all right, let's try to like be productive here. Again, not that you shouldn't get angry at your kids. But I'm just saying like, I remember hearing that in like in a parenting podcast or I read in a parenting book. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I never thought to like bring it to racing. This is yeah. a great idea. I don't know. I mean, I really tried this like during the trials to utilize all that was given to me. And um, I felt like they did help. Um, and I was excited for it again. Like um, sometimes it's not the number, you know, we all like to see a fast PR or like a fast number, but I feel like sometimes you can look back on a race and I can truly say, I looked back on this race and I, I did everything that I felt like was the right decision at that time. You know, I don't think there's anything I would say, Oh, I wish I would have done that differently or this differently. I felt like I'm not saying it was perfectly executed, but overall I would say I did the best with the conditions we had. So that's fantastic. And I guess it also plays into the idea of, you know, running with the negative split in mind and picking people off is also another way of going external instead of internal. Cause you're obviously externally focused on the people ahead of you and trying to figure out, all right, the strategy to, to go get them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's always better when you can see people, you know, and you can feel them maybe coming back a little bit. It gives you that extra pull, whereas if you're running alone and you don't have anybody around you. So, so Roberta, you have done amazing things. And the past, even before 2020, we detailed this yeah. at length in previous podcasts that we've done together. And you've been on a lot of shows and have done a really great job of highlighting what you've been able to do. So... Back four years ago, you kind of you kind of laid the the groundwork for what you wanted to do in the future. Yeah. So here you are, a week after the yeah. trials or so. Yeah. What's the what's the mission statement moving forward? It's keep on keep on growing, keep on continuing to be curious. Um, you know, it's funny. I you know before this trials, I had talked about it being the last trials. You know, I don't know. I don't even know, right? But I was like. If they still, if there's a trials and the standard's still around 237 and I'm still running close to that, why not qualify and go at 50? Because that's pretty awesome to say. So um, I'm still enjoying it. You know, at this moment, I'm still, I love the marathon because I feel like it's such a challenge. You know, you can't master it. (laughs) I would love to say you could, but you know, it's just something there's something to it for me that just, you know, there's always a learning process or something you can try differently. And, um, so when it comes to running, like I still feel like there are, I'm still enjoying it. So if I'm still enjoying it, I'm still going to race. And as long as I feel that way, who knows what's going to happen in the next four years. Um, so that's with running. Yeah. So, and then just expanding on my, my coaching, um, some new and exciting things going with that way. So I'm excited for those opportunities. Anything you want to share? So, I'm going to be going full-time as a coach. I am leaving my nursing profession, but I'm deciding to follow my passion and uh, had the opportunity to do this. So 
Um, very excited that Central Park Track Club is giving me this opportunity to coach full time, and wow. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take it. And uh, and um, congratulations, yeah. Roberta! Thank that is you. fantastic news. I had no yeah. idea people would be like, "Is Matt faking it?" Like, no, you did not tell me this beforehand. This is wonderful. Yeah, no, no, this is. This is exciting. Um, it's been in the talks for maybe a couple months, but uh, yeah, no, it's like super exciting, but also, you know, it's, it's, it's change and which change there's fears, but it's all good because sometimes it's what we have to do to grow, you know, and to learn. So I'm excited. Absolutely. So you detailed at length what you have done, have been doing. Yeah. for Central Park Track Club in terms of your role and, and things like that. What does the new expanded full-time role mean? Oh, it's going to be ever-evolving, right? I mean, there's definitely some more, you know, we're that's what we're going to be figuring out as a club. You know, obviously, I'm going to do some more administrative work, and I'm going to be working more privately with athletes, but this is, like, the part where it's going to be ever-evolving to figure out the best way. You know, we want to, like, uh, develop more of our elite field our elite um, program um, so things like that so uh, very exciting um, but you know like I said we're still it's early stages so still figuring it all out well this yeah. is really exciting I'm sure yeah. it's sure once you told people they were they were pumped of course they would be I guess one thing don't change the kits I love the Central Park Club gear I could pick them out from a mile away and in the best possible way I think they're absolutely fantastic that's why we. That's that's why I heard we do the orange because you can pick us out. I love it. See, orange is orange is the rambling runner color too. So I'm, I, I guess I have a personal affinity <laughs> for it. But it is really cool and it's it's classic. I love it. Anyway, Thank that's you. not the point. That's not the point in the conversation. I had, <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Um, Roberta, that is so exciting. So congratulations to you. I'm, I'm envious of the people that you're going to be able to work with. That is for sure. And thank you so much for not only coming on the podcast but much more importantly continuing to show us all that like hey with love and commitment like just just keep it going and and don't walk around with these preconceived limiters yep. that may not at all be related to what you can do exactly just enjoy it and be curious like i said 